You're listening to My Unlived Life, a podcast about the path not taken. I'm Miriam Robinson. A few years ago, my life fell apart in pretty dramatic fashion, and I found myself feeling that somewhere I'd made a wrong turn. I suddenly felt very far from home and family, and felt even farther from myself. I began to wonder, what if I had done things differently? We don't like to ask this question. It threatens to trap us in the past without a map back to the here and now. So I decided to make the map. Each episode, I interview someone about another course their lives could have taken. We begin at the point where their paths diverged and together, step-by-step, we imagine ourselves into the lives they never lived. Because these lives have a lot to teach us about ourselves, if we let them. Today I spoke to Travis Alabanza. Travis is an award-winning writer, performer, and theater maker. After being the youngest recipient of the Artist-in-Residency program at Tate Galleries, their debut show, Burgers, toured internationally to sold-out performances in the South Bank Center in Brazil and Berlin, and won the Edinburgh Fringe Total Theater Award. Their writing has appeared in The Guardian, Vice, Galdem, and BBC Online, and they've been published in numerous anthologies, including Black and Gay in the UK. Their work surrounding gender, trans identity, and race has garnered international recognition, and they have given talks at universities, including Oxford, Harvard, Bristol, and more. Their new book, None of the Above, is published this August. When we spoke, Travis and I discussed what their life would have been like if they had stayed in university instead of walking out of their exams. Along the way, we discussed the cultural obsession with certainty, the importance of geography when forming communities, and the sex appeal of really bad shoes. Hi, Travis. Hi. Thank you so much for being here on My Unlived Life. I'm so excited. I've dreamt of unliving my life, so this is perfect. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, we'll try. We'll try not to undo everything, but we will. We will have a little exploration. Um, I'm. I'm particularly looking forward to talking to you because I think that this podcast. I mean, it it deals in imaginative spaces, right? It deals in the sort of what if and that kind of squidgy space where we kind of think we know what might have happened, but obviously we never will, and there's sort of nothing concrete about that. And the thing, I mean, many things struck me when reading your new book, None of the Above, which is just so exquisitely written. And it, but it, it dwells so beautifully in ambiguity and uncertainty. I think uh, to the point where formally we see you working things out on the page, sort of refusing to be didactic or certain. And that to me feels like a revolutionary act in and of itself. It's just amazing. Um, because we are culturally, we're so obsessed with certainty as you obviously detail in many different ways in your book. And I guess I was just wondering before we start exploring your unlived life, if you could just say a bit about what it felt like to write that way. Um, firstly, because I'm like right at the beginning of book stuff, I'm still new to compliments about the book because it's not out yet. So every time I'm sure I'll become like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. But at the moment, every time someone says something, I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) Um, yeah, so thank you. Um, it's still really cool to hear. And especially like, I feel like what's different with publishing, obviously this is like my first book in like the publishing world rather than plays and performance, is that plays and performance, everyone just talks about the aesthetic and things quite quickly. And it's so nice in publishing. Everyone really detailed, detailed specific feedback. I'm living. Um, but (laughs) yeah, it was, it was really hard to write. And I wanted to detail that difficulty in the book. I think there were so many other books written first. I like wrote a whole other book in the first three months and then decided to like trash it. And so I was like, you know what? The only way this is going to work is if I'm speaking to the reader throughout about this process and that the process of writing the book is in parallel to the process of my transition. Yes. And there was no point calling a book none of the above is if it would also fit into loads of boxes about form. And so once I decided to not try and be the author I thought I had to be, and instead just be myself, um, it really started to be fun. It was so fun to play with. And 
I got to the point, luckily, near the end, where I was like, you know what? I really like what I'm doing here. So who knows if other people will or not, I'm really enjoying this, you know? I was, I mean, I was hating it. Like I was, the first four months, I was like, this is awful. (laughs) And then I was like, wait, if this was a performance or a show, I just wouldn't do it. So I had to just be like, I started again. And I was like, you know what? Rogue starting again. Shout out to my editor, Hannah Knowles, for holding it down. But um, I started again and I just had way more fun and I was way more honest. And I can hear myself in the book becoming more confident as it goes on, which is nice. I think in in publishing, I mean, it's just a slower moving bit of the entertainment industry in general, isn't it? We just, things just take longer. And so perhaps that's where some of that comes from. But I think the flip side of that is once you're, you know, halfway into writing a book, you're invested. Like there's been a lot that's gone into it. So it's super brave to scrap it and start over. Brave, stupid, in the middle. Yeah. Always on the brave slash stupid line. Um, (laughs) In the middle of like lockdown two, I think, Um, you know, by this point um, I'd stopped smoking cigarettes. So I think that uh, infused a lot of my decisions because I had like non-smoking brain where I was like, I'm going to do anything. I'm either going to burn this car or start my book again. Well, I don't have any money to repair the car, so I'll start the book again. That feels like a really sensible cost-benefit analysis. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think that we should just get you right into your unlived life. Can um, Can you say what unlived life you've brought for us today? So my unlived life is if I didn't drop out of university that would be the year 2013. Yeah, the year 2013. Um, I was in my second year at university at King's College London, and I was studying theology with Hebrew, lol. I know. We'll Wait, just leave- pause. No, that's what we're going to have to pause there for a second. <laughs> you didn't get to lull that away. What was that about? I am still wondering that question. (laughs) I always try and think of this. I I am a history nerd. Like, I do love history. And I I don't love the Bible. um, But I do find it really interesting. But basically, like, I don't know if this is true or not. It feels a bit weird. But I kind of did it as, like, a prank, which feels, like, unsurprising then that I dropped out. But basically, I, like, really wanted to go to drama school. I really wanted to go to, like, art school, performing arts college. Like, I was so obviously made for that. Um, but my mum and I guess the people around me were, you know, stressed about money and jobs. So I remember trolling her and being like, fine, then I'll pick theology. And then realising that my mum doesn't really, like, she's not from this country, like, she doesn't really get, the like, the education system that way. So she just hears that and was like, great, that sounds like a proper subject. And I, like, had to call my bluff, I guess. I don't really know. I just wanted to get out of Bristol. So I saw university as like a chance to be funded to get out of Bristol because I knew that I would get like the max bursary, the max like whatever student loan. So I was like free money um, and get me out of here. So yeah, I was doing theology, which then makes the dropout feel less surprising. Um, But (laughs) I actually kind of enjoyed theology. Yeah, it's good in pub quizzes. Oh, I bet it is. I bet it's wonderful in pub quizzes. But can we, I want to back up just a little bit. You talk about it in the book, but you were saying you're so desperate to get out of Bristol. Why? Why did you want to flee Bristol? So, you know, you feel grand at like 16. Um, And I do think gender nonconformity ages you like prematurely. Why? Because I think you experience like violence and interactions with the outside world that sometimes some kids, I mean, I'm sure that also like cisgender women when they're younger also get those experiences too that force us to age prematurely but you know when you're gender non-conforming um and younger you have adults treat you so horribly from a young age that it does force you to kind of grow up quicker but also I think you're sexualized in lots of ways at least I was sexualized from men on the streets from quite a young age um so and I think people also assume you're older because you're like wearing skirts and like wearing makeup so they're like oh you must be older to make those choices for yourself right yeah none of my friends in Bristol came out yet they're all queer now I felt like I had a great social life and a great time but I really needed to go and dive into like queer life and I knew that there must be something for me elsewhere that felt bigger than where I was and London just obviously felt like the obvious bet to kind of expand you know where in London did you go (laughs) 
King's College London. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it was shit. Like, it was just crap. Like, um, I just, do you know what it is? I've never been around that many posh people in my life. I remember, mm. like, going to the halls and, like, because of, again, Matt's bursary, I was placed in, like, the halls closest to the university. But that means I was living in, like, Waterloo, which I didn't realise meant that, like, if you weren't on a bursary, it meant you had to obviously be super rich to, like, afford those halls. And I just remember everyone's starting questions was, like, what school did you go to? I'm like, how are you going to know my secondary school? And then it was like, oh, you all went to, like, these schools and they were all from... Because it was all the Oxford rejects. My life before that had been, like, you know, not around those kinds of people. And I just was like, I knew on the first day, I was like, I'm here for the ride, not for the, the school. I'd never met these kind of people. Like, this was, like, 1% vibes. And I was just like, wow, like, you guys are really, like, really racist. Like, really racist because really racist means overtly racist oh my or... God, yeah, overtly and i've never i don't think i'd ever like had day-to-day interactions of like overt racism now i know more people that have gone to university it's like part of the parcel i guess but like at university people just love having debates don't they like that's just what people do in their spare time they're like oh we're having a beer let's talk about issues and I guess that's fine. But then when everyone's conservative, you're like, oh, I don't want to hear this every day. There's that, it's that kind of weird posturing too that is quite, feels quite male and quite sort of. Yeah, it's so odd. And I'm sure it's changed now, like, because the way of talking about the world has shifted even in 10 years. But like, at that time, I think you could get away with, you know, saying, well, people said less things in private and actually said more things out loud that they were thinking. All right, so you're in like maximum culture shock, but you you've you've done it, so you can sort of liberate yourself from from Bristol and kind of come to the the huge ginormous pond of London. You say you weren't in it for the academics, but how were your classes? Like, how was studying theology? The one I went to was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I really don't think I made it. To, well, I know I tried really hard in the, well, I don't know. I tried to do everything, right? Like in the first year I was like, I'm going to really do this. I do love learning and I am interested. So I'm going to try, you know, living for this weird niche history that I was learning, like my focus on, I was learning about like women in the Hebrew Bible. And like, I had an introductory course on like Islam, which was really interesting. And, but then the issue was I found drugs, the UK club scene, partying and drag. And I was like, oh, this is so much more fucking interesting than theology. (laughs) At the same time, I became quite active on campus in, like, the activist spaces. So I was president of the LGBT Society. I, like, Mm. helped run the Students of Colour Association. I supported the Palestine Association. Like, I became, like, the agitator, helping to agitate things, which coincides with why I dropped out, which is relevant. But, like, the last lesson I went to... Um, the lecturer when I turned up was like oh it's been a long time and I was like yeah I was wondering if I can get the notes for the last few lectures I've missed them and he was like oh well maybe if you spent less time on the picket fence then you would <gasps> then you would be able to catch up and I just remember being like oh my god these bitches hate me the, <laughs> feeling, the feeling is mutual and I was like oh I don't know I just feel like um, changing the curriculum is like a good thing to get behind like I, I would love to see you on the picket fence next week and then he just went like this sarcastically. What did he do? Oh, he just like raised his fist, fist, like a solidarity fist. Like solidarity thing and like rolled his eyes and um, was like, and then I was like, okay. And then at the end of the lecture, I was like, I, I really would love the notes. Like I'm, I'm really behind and I really want to catch up. And he was like, oh, what did he say? He was like, I don't know. Malcolm X probably waited till after he finished his degree to get started yeah oh, my goodness I know it was fucking wild it was truly wild and I was like you know what um, that was it that was it well no I did an exam it was exam time and I remember sitting in the exam and like remembering that I thought I wouldn't be able to do it and then being like oh I can kind of answer this question this is bad but I like avoided going to a hookup because of this exam <laughs> and, and the whole time in the exam I was thinking about sex and I was like, but I was like what is this degree gonna get me like what am I doing what is afterwards why am I like suffering like I'm finally like 
Is any of that better than the sex is basically the question. Yeah, and and the answer was actually in hindsight, the sex was kind of average, but I wasn't to know that. And I was also like, you know what? Jesus wouldn't have wanted me to stay here, you know? And so Jesus would have wanted me to get my back blown out. So (laughs) So I put down my pen and I just stood up and I walked out of the exam halfway through. And I was like, I'm not doing this. You know, I, 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 I didn't come to London to then be suffocated by another thing. Why am I like, I was meeting all these, art, you know, I was meeting artists for the first time. I'm blaming it on the artist. I was, you can blame everything on the artist. That's exactly. how it works. They're there to be blamed. It's fine. Exactly. I was finally like learning about this life that like I kind of had read about because I was such a history nerd, but didn't know that I could like find. I thought it only existed in like, this sounds weird, but like 80s New York or whatever. Like, And so to be like, wait, I'm stopping hanging out with these people that like I'm so intrigued by to go and study theology with a bunch of racists. Like, no. What was your, what was your, um, and it probably wasn't just a moment, but what was your introduction to that scene once you got to London? I think there's lots of ways in and I could credit loads of different people and I'm going to just pick different moments each time. The Royal Vauxhall Tavern, which is the oldest gay bar in the UK, and a night there called Bar Whatever, which at the time was run by Ingo Kando, but is now run by Lysander. And they're like the only night on at the RVT at that time, and kind of still now, unfortunately, that really platformed not just muscly gay cis men and those kind of drag queens. And I remember they came to watch me do some like poems because I was I was trying everything and I was lucky that I got in touch with Ricky Beadle Blair, who's an amazing writer, director, like legend. And he made an anthology called Black and Gay in the UK. And there was an open submission. And I first moved to London, I submitted it and no one knew who I was. And then he said, yeah, be in the anthology. And I went to this huge launch at Waterstones in Piccadilly and I had no idea who any of these people were. Now I'm like aware that I was meeting, you know, um, lots like Dean Atta was there and mm. Ricky Blair was there and Samia Seaton was there and all these like writers that I'm now like, oh my God. Um, but at the time, you know, 18 year old me was like, I'm just hit free wine, what the hell? And I read some poems and Ricky Beetle Blair was like really supportive of me and was like, what are you doing? Like, are you an artist? What's your website? And I was like, I don't know what any of this means. I'm just Travis. And Ingo was like, you need to come to bar whatever. And I came and there was just like these wild like queers, but not drag queens. Like it was like using performance and art to not just do drag. And I learned that there was all this performance art and live art and all these people. I just didn't know that that was a job. Like, I had no idea. And my mind was, like, fucking blown. And so I ran up to Ingo, and I said, I want to be on the open mic slot. Um, Give me two weeks. I want to perform something. And I guess people just really took to my performance, and it kind of only took a month or so, but I went from not knowing to, like, doing four or five gigs a week. That's so fast. That transformation is sort of immediate. It's incredible. I'm only thinking, making this link now, because we mentioned it earlier, but, like, the antithesis to Bristol where like before that I had been really trying to find an artistic group and everyone just kind of ignoring me to mm. then like meeting these queers who have no idea who I am and clearly I was young fresh-faced clueless making the mistakes about pronouns I didn't understand like all this language they were using everything and they were just like we don't care like come and party come and play I'm getting nervous about what about taking you away from all of this in your unlived life, but we're gonna we're gonna sort of see. Now I think that we've got really good we've got a really good image of what we're walking away from. Shall we try? I would love to. So essentially, so we're we're back, we're back on uh, campus at Kings. You're nineteen. You're still eighteen. Twenty. Twenty. Yeah. You're twenty. Um, you get to that point where you feel like you want to walk away but you don't. What happens next? Well, I must hook up with the person later, no matter what. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you remember the person? Do you remember? Yes, of course. Yes. It was the most defining, like it was one of the most defining sexual experiences of that year. Um, Because because I was like, wow, I just walked out of an exam for that fuck. Um, 
Oh yeah, good point. No, I stay, I stay, and I and I think I probably pass. But you know, if I stayed in that moment, I think what would have happened then is I would have made a choice to have stopped all the club stuff, stopped the drugs, stopped the partying, and be like, if I'm gonna stay, because I remember in the exam going, you either stay and commit to this and like actually put in work, and you can't do all of this at once, or you leave and commit to trying to be an artist. It was really binary in my head. I was like, there's no way you can hold both of these things right now. You're either going to try and do one or do the other. So I think I would have nerded up. The thing I can't figure out in imagining is that what would have happened to the like kind of weird legal tribunal I was with the university in? Like, because I left, they kind of left me, but I illegally protested on campus. You illegally protest? Oh, right. And so, wait, well, okay, well, context, please. Can you say a little bit more about that first and then we'll figure it out? We called it Black Out the White Wall because there was this wall of diversity in the college and the big old thing that they thought was this huge thing. And they basically plastered all these big white women professors on the wall and were like, look, we're diverse. And it was at the same time as this whole stuff was kicking off about the curriculum and the black dropouts. So me and uh, I guess I have to, who knows who's still in academia. So just me alone uh, <laughs> went in with like masks and plastered, like plastered over the wall with like, faces of black students, black icons, black historians, and like did a protest. But obviously like in an, a building as old as King's, you can't like just put shit on walls because you're mm. dealing with like things from the 1800s. So like, yeah, I was in trouble. Um, okay. So if I stayed, I would have had to like figure it out. I would have had to be good, I guess, and like finish like what I started. If I'm honest, I think what would have happened was I would have like went to the job fairs probably, you know, and like figured out what my job was. That I can't imagine going back to being an artist. I think I would have been persuaded by like the graduate year and like finding a graduate job because all people talked about at King's was like, oh my God, employability. And I'm like, I do theology. Well, let's, let's, we're going to go a little bit step by step and kind of figure out, we'll get some specifics for you. So um, if we go, if we go right back to that moment, you take your exam, you do okay, and you commit and you just go, all right, let's just start with how, are you still living in Waterloo? No, but now I'm living in Stockwell. Okay. On your own, friends? No, no, I've got um, three flatmates. Okay. Are they also at King's? Yeah, they're also at King's at this point. Okay, fine. So equally committed to university and they're not a... No, yeah, one's now a doctor. Well done. Yeah, the other was like hated university, but also like was way more afraid of their mum than I should have had the fear of their mum that I should have still had. All right, so you're living there, and so then you pass. You've got a summer before your three, your third year starts. Yeah. What do you do over the summer? Oh well, I would have partied still, wouldn't I? I mean, this is the issue. What you're learning is the undeniable route back to the party. <laughs> I would have left. Um, left London because I could never afford to stay in London during the summer. So I would have went back to Bristol, but I guess, whereas in my actual life I was working and doing gigs so I could afford to stay in London, I guess this version I would have, my student loan would be finished and I'd have to move back to Bristol for the summer. And so I'd be back in Bristol with my family and my friends in Bristol, I guess, probably resting, but also probably like catch, I'd have to catch up on all the coursework I missed, you know? Yeah. So, because I had so many extensions by this point, like all of my essays were on like a million extensions. I was late on everything. So I maybe would have spent the summer probably working. So you spend the summer doing doing your studying um, and catching up on stuff and hanging out at home. And then you go back for your third and final year, right? Third and final year. And you go back to Stockwell? Yeah, I imagine so. Yeah, the only reason, because we were all planning to stay another year together, and the only reason I left that house, because we all got along really well, was because I left the house because I was like, guys, I've not got a student loan anymore. I don't know how much money I'm going to earn um, as an artist. I can't pay this much rent. So yeah, I'd still be there in my lovely ass loft room. Um, I think I would have had to have calmed down. Like, I think that's what this would have been. Like, it would have been a lesson in like, you know, I wouldn't be drinking and as much as I was. I wouldn't be going out as much because I would have had to have studied. Mm. I think I would have really got into the nerd life. Um, because there is that side of me. Like, I really, like, I love research. I love reading. 
So I think I would have just deeply got into the nerd life of theology. That's great. I love that. Probably like kept up my Hebrew. Do you know what I mean? Like then I would actually probably be able to speak Hebrew now properly instead of this like broken shit that I can do. Well, let's figure it out. I mean, it's amazing that you can speak any Hebrew at all, which is really incredible. Like it's such a hard language. Well, let's think. So, okay. So what are you studying in your third year? You're, you're, you're doing Hebrew. Yeah. I'm probably focusing on like, I loved like doing like specific studies of the Bible, like probably would have carried on with the women in the Bible, like modules further, because it was the only chance to like get close to talking about something like relevant. I wanted to look at like how black radicals had used religion in history to either like benefit or harm the cause. And so I was really interested in like, I guess I was interested in like how faith in black communities, I guess particularly I was looking at African-American communities had, um, we felt helped the cause, right? It would be used a lot in conversations around like abolition of slavery, et cetera. But actually, I guess asking the question if Christianity and Catholicism has actually like helped hold back black communities as well and look at the power around that. Um, Can you say just a little like, like what's the the sort of headline of why that might've been the case? I'm rusty on it, but I guess that a lot of the time when we look at the church and look at like who it was imported by and then taken on from, it's that power exchange that we kind of think that a lot of these things come from black culture, but maybe it's what blackness has always done beautifully and complicatedly. Um, take something they were given and make like wine from water, whatever the phrase is, you know, like, so, um, yeah. So I feel like church is an import of colonialism in the way that a lot of African-American cultures like now use it. And I do feel like it's something that we still, it feels like this one, um, this last thing that we're not allowed to touch or critique, you know, like even during in black culture and, you know, even in not black culture, but I can only speak for that. Like, it feels like, Hey, we're being like radical and talking about all these things and structures. And then we're like, but what about the church? And it's like, hands off. And I'm just really interested by like, I obviously think that when something is protected that much, it probably means there's something really dangerous behind it, obviously. So I guess I would have been into that. Um, And there was a professor that I loved who had nothing to do with theology, but I was just so excited that they were at our university. Madison Moore had just arrived at the university and I was obsessed with them because they Mm. were so fabulous and fashionable. And like this queer black African-American person was at King's and there was like no black professors at King's. And so I was so excited. So I would have found a way to find a link to their department so I could chat to them and be their friend. Now we're like... um, now like I've guested at their lectures at universities they came to my performances like we know each other and I've read their work now so I would have hunted down Madison Moore and like attached myself at the the waist you know all right so that's your academic life um in your social life in this third year at King's obviously you're you've put the lid on the extreme partying and the gigging and all of that but what's what's going on what are you doing when you're not studying Oh my God, in this version, maybe I've settled down so much that I'm like, I don't know, I'm so extreme, aren't I? I'm like, well, I'm not partying, so I must now be on this road to like normativity. As if like no student has ever been creative. But I really did think of that as like that, you know? Um, I mean, there was there was a guy that I fancied in theology. Maybe if I stayed around long enough, we'd be fucking there. Who was the go. guy? He was, so, he was so interesting because like, he was weird as hell and like so posh and I think I think at first I thought he hated me and then when I left he sent me this really cute message being like where are you in lectures got so much stuff I want to say to you and so maybe for the sake of this imagination we'd be fucking I'm someone that needs like uh dating or something throughout my whole life I, I need it I love it and what I would have been missing from the club world was the constant interactions with like sex and relationships I know the only way I would have got through studying was with a consistent pay. But my focus self would be like, they can't be outside of theology because you're, you're devoted now, babes. You're here. Okay, so you're dating, you're dating the guy who's also in theology. And um, is it like, is it, is it like love? Or is it just, is it so, sort of all consuming? Or is it just a nice thing? No, he, he dressed too well for it to be love. 
Okay. I, I don't like falling in love with like well-dressed men. Why? I love when they're not fashionable or like they're like a tiny bit off. It's so relaxing. I'm like, great. Like there's, I, I don't need to try too hard. I'm like, perfect. As soon as I see a bad shoe choice, I'm like, oh. <laughs> not my book being called None of the Above. And I'm like, men can have bad shoes, but I must have good shoes. <laughs> <laughs> He's too, he was too well dressed for us to fall in love probably. Okay. But I think we would have had like a really intellectually stimulating and sexually fulfilling relationship. So, all right. So I think we're, if we're, you're having this relationship and you're doing your study and you finish in year three, right? And how do you do? Bish, in this way, how realistic do I have to be? I clearly didn't get first. It's like not even, I don't think it was impossible for me to climb back from where I was in second year to get first. So, I you mean, know, you're very, you're very focused. I feel like the, the level of realism, I feel like I can't feel so insane that it would that some version, it would never happen to some version of you. I got a strong 2-1, you know? And I would have been, and everyone would have been like, how did she do it? And maybe, hey, maybe my my dissertation got like an award because it was just like, they'd never had, you know, they were like, here comes the first ever, like, not the first ever, but there really was no black people in that class. So like, you know, and at this point, you know, she's really out as trans. And so they're like, we can kill like all the diversity cards in one stone. And tick, 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 and they give me a pity award, and I know it's a pity award because I can still see the spelling mistake in the third paragraph, but I take it. And why? Because I'm like, my mum is coming to graduation. I've given my mum a graduation finally. She is so proud. She just can't believe it. She's dreamed of this moment, so she's just so happy. And I slide into being the favorite child, like solidify that place. She was like, I just want to see like my kid graduate. Um. So we're dressed to the nines. We look so, we obviously are coordinated because my mum's a fashion girl. She loves dressing up. Oh, amazing. And she does, like, I've now learned because I guess I've had moments in my life that aren't graduation, but like feel like that for me and my mum, you know, like a play opening or a press night. And I've seen how she loves being the first lady at these events. So she'll always ask me what I'm wearing. And then we'll like always coordinate a bit, like subtly, not in like an overt way. Just her bag might match a colour on my thing or whatever like that. We've absolutely treated graduation as like a fashion show. She rocks up. She's crying from the moment she gets there. Um, She loves performing. You know, the thing about my mum is that she performs like social graces really well and loves doing it she's american so she finds a lot of these english like i'm sure you can maybe <laughs> either hating them or loving them but she loves them like she's a real anglophile and also because my mom's like 68 so she's like of a generation that i think can do that england loving like quite cute i'm like this is still cute because you're like 68 like she would have loved like you know king's college is like such an old college that it has all those like you know weird English traditions of queens and because it's like stuff like that so I think she would have loved all of that like stuff okay well I'm glad we've given her the opportunity to have graduation that's great I'm gonna let her just listen to that segment of this podcast yeah (laughs) (laughs) not the bit where she learns that I actually dropped out of university because I was thinking of having sex we'll just edit you a special mom version okay so so then what happens are you going to graduate school what are you doing oh I'm not going to school anymore even you're done no, I'm done. I'm I'm finished. I think I'm a teacher. I remember I was like, for this, I went back into like my old hard drive to figure out like what I was thinking in like first and second year of uni. I tried to like find any work I had done. That's when I learned the dissertation. Like, I was trying to just jog my memory. And a lot of my saved documents was like how to become a graduate teacher in religious oh. studies. Can you imagine? I just don't know who I thought I was. I was choosing between in that split was like safety and risk. It's like risky to be an artist. It's risky to choose to be an artist. It's risky to drop out. It's risky to not know about money. And I think because I came from not having money, what university resembled was like stability and like safety. And so what's safer than picking a job in a profession that you know they'll always need? You always need yeah. teachers. There's never a shortage of teachers. Okay, you get a teaching qualification and you're not going to worry about finding a job. You might worry about enjoying it and teachers have to work really fucking hard and all of that. But, you know, in my head, my brain was like, this is something I'm kind of good at. This is something that I definitely will get. The version of the me that went to uni and did all of that, I think was still obsessed with like 
just being safe, like being really safe. I mean, you talk, you talk a lot about in your book and you mentioned earlier, obviously the, the violence and the intensity of in particular, the male gaze um, and the disapproval. I mean, that, that chapter about, you know, it's not what we do around here, son, and all of that stuff, just this general sense of instability instability in terms of who you are um, and who you're allowed to be. What's fascinating about it is that against the backdrop of all that instability and what you describe as a sort of precarious um, upbringing or an upbringing without um, uh, sort of financial stability is that you still were able to walk away from a safer path. Was there any moment where you just kind of went, I'm just actively choosing not safety? There's a, there's a word for that. What's the word for not safety? Yes, like I think it could be a bit grand for me to say it like that. But then, I mean, me being grand, lol. Um, surprise. But like, I do think that like there was a conscious choice when ringing my mum and telling her that I dropped out, that I was like, I'm picking myself. So whether or not it was like safety or this, I definitely think there was a conscious choice because I knew how much disappointment my mum was going to have in me, and she did. And what a great start to re-choose me because I felt like I already chosen me loads throughout my life you know you choose yourself when you wear a dress for the first time you choose yourself when you decide to be queer like and this was just another choice of going babe I think that like if you don't do this right now for you you're gonna have a different life maybe why I was so drawn to picking this is that maybe I'm feeling so sentimental about like having a book coming out and all these things and none of that would exist if I stayed I don't think I mean a lot of people say you would have found their way there eventually but not now. I mean, I'm so young right now, right? Like, I, I would have been finding this later on in my life, probably. I guess what, what feels authentic about the unlived life is, as you say, the the sort of vehemence which, with which you've sort of thrown yourself into this as opposed to your other life. So let's keep going and we'll see, um, we'll see, what, we'll see where you get. What do you have to do in order to be a teacher? You have to do more training? Yeah, like a PGC, don't you? Or like, I'd probably like try and... My, my friend who went to King's did like teach first program okay because it was like a, you know less studying more like so you do teach first and they they are like they kind of choose where you go right like they sort of place you somewhere yeah i think so or you can put a preference can't you yeah, yeah. okay where do you think you where do you think you are i stay in london I, okay I think there's no chance that i would have wanted to move away from it yet any particular part of london let's find you a let's find you a locale Haggerston feels a bit too, I don't think I would have had the money for Haggerston, but I do love Haggerston. Was it, was it as, it was as bad and like, yeah. where, where are we? It's like 2014 now, so. Maybe Mile End. That feels more realistic for where I should be. All right, so you're teaching at like a primary school, secondary school? Yeah, I can't do, can't do too long. No, I totally agree. Okay, so secondary school, you're teaching in Mile End. Um, are you living with other people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be living by myself yet. Not in London. Yeah, no. There's no chance. <laughs> <There's no> ch <laughs> Even Just if whatever unlived life, my life, unlived life, I'm not living in East London on my own. Yeah, I'm probably living with friends. I mean, but this is so what's so weird about this because all of the friends that I are now like my closest and best friends I met through the arts. So like, I don't even really know who my friends are. Let's think about it a little bit. Have you met, are you still, are you still with the guy or is he gone now? No, I think he's probably, hey, if he, he bought nice shoes and yeah, it was over. Yeah, he's, he, 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 he stayed too well dressed. He declined my uh, shoe offers. Um, yeah, we're not still together. Any, has anybody new cropped up? There would have to be. There would yeah. have to be someone probably in the teacher training program. Oh, good. Okay, fine. Can we, can we picture who they are? I have this like certain brand of teacher that. I actually do question, like, teachers aren't, male teachers aren't fashionable, especially, like, the gay ones. Like, I don't know, I'm just going to be homophobic, Pride Month is over. Um, but, like, <laughs> the, the gay teachers are always, like, a bit, like, Gap. Like, you know, Gap or, like, H&M men's. And yeah. I love that. And they're just so normcore. Some of the ones I've been with, they're, like, really fun-facing and then really, like, dry and, like, sarcastic behind the scenes. I'm dating one of those. He's Amazing. Unfortunately, I've imagined him Caucasian, but like, there we are. He's Caucasian. You know, needs must. I'm in my white boy era. 
you're you're not living together yeah there's no version of me that like uh yeah lives with partners uh in in reality also you're, yeah, you're not you don't do the partner living thing i love my own space too much and i'm also a lot because he's like so he's like i'd love to live with you i think it'd be so much fun i'm like we have to complete a reality tv competition show together before we do it so the amazing race that kind of vibe you need like a you well, and also like something that really tests your ability to sort of deal with each other in adverse circumstances, presumably. So unless in this unlived life the teacher has been on the amazing race with me, we're not living together. I feel like you just haven't had time to go on the amazing race because it's like you're busy, you're teaching. It's think of the children. Think of the children. Okay, fine. All right. So you two are dating. Um and you're living with People, do we want to try to figure out who the people are just so we get a sense of who your friends are? Or are they just kind of random people that you met on a translation? I'm with the teacher gays. That's my life. I'm with the gays. I'm with the teachers. Um, we go for jokes on Thursdays. We watch the drag shows that I would have been in on Fridays. And how does that feel? Like in your unlived life, do you feel like you're kind of yearning for it? Or have you like properly shut the door on that life? I would have hoped that I would have matured enough like I have now to be less binary. But I have a worry that like how I was back then was really all or nothing in every aspect of my life. I feel like it would have been a few more years before I realized that like I could live a balanced life of these things, right? In the same way, it's been a few years since I've realized that I could get the other balance back from this unlived life that I might have had, right? I was not a person of balance at this age. Except this version of balance, I guess, looks better. So I'm not taking as much cocaine. You're not doing lines. You've got a, you've got your nice relationship. And then your teach first, what is that? Is that last year? Yeah, I think so. I'm not okay. sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Let's say it lasts a year. Yeah, let's go with a year. So you finish it. You're 22, right? Is that right? Yeah, 22, 22-23. Um, and then presumably you get a job job. Yeah, well, then I guess that the choice would still be, like, am I doing this? Am I becoming a teacher? What do you think? I keep on, like, even in this, uh, this is quite, like, an interesting, I need to, like, listen to the other episodes in this podcast and see if people, like, get against this. But, like, I can't, it's so weird, I can't, like, shake the me that's here that would just be like, no, by then you would have definitely said, like, let's give this up. But then, like, that's not playing the game. That's just going back to your path again, you know? You can, you can, do you know what? I had one I did a couple of weeks ago. We literally spent two years where he did, like, a little mini, mini detour and then he came back, you know? And whereas other people just go completely somewhere else and they're living somewhere else and they never come back. I would say all writers end up becoming writers. I've gotten people to leave their partners, but I can't no. get writers to leave writing. Again, though, I don't know if I would have made the choice yet, but I just know the choice is coming. And I feel like there's okay. been another moment where I would have stopped and went, is this really what you want to do? And maybe I would have went, well, you've just spent all this time doing it. You've just done this. You've got all these teacher buddies and friends. You go to quiz nights. That's fun. Um, so, you know, we're at, I'm at a quiz night and I'm trying to decide whether or not to stay as a teacher. And, you know, we win the quiz that night. And I oh, say, well done. I can't leave this friendship group. Do you win it with theology questions? Like, do you have like the winning theology answer? We're all our specified subjects and we're just there like, finally, we feel use in what we learn. And I'm like, I can't leave this life. We're going to be teachers. I think, so I'm, yeah, I pick a school. I would probably pick like still a London school. I don't think I'd be ready to leave London. Hopefully I would stay at my play school or I'd pick somewhere that like had like a high proportion of students of colour. Um, I probably want to teach local to where I live. So if I'm still living in Maryland, I'd want to live, teach there. Okay. Um, not because I'm afraid of a commute, just because I think, like, I love when a teacher's part, like, from where they live, like, from where they teach. There's something really wonderful about seeing your teacher on the way to school, like, when yeah. you're walking and they're walking. And then, yeah, it just feels good. I think it's really important. I can see myself, like, I guess what I see in this life that I don't didn't have time for whilst everything was going on in my actual life is that I do think what I have now in my life that I would have had then earlier is like just being part of a community like that's not based around your identities but based around your geography and like your locality that's such an interesting distinction and so important what do you feel like is the important like now that you've got that what do you feel like is the important yeah. difference well I'm, I'm building it now I haven't got it yet 
I moved back to Bristol like a year and a half ago. It's kind of for that reason, really. Yeah, I just think that the difference is like, I think it's really important because I do think that culture shifting all the time. And I think that, you know, it's not, ju- I was like, is this just going up? But I was like, it's probably that. And it's also probably that we have seen the limits of like identity-based um, conversations that only start there. That hasn't shifted and changed everything. And also like, I have a lot of like privilege now compared to what I did when I was younger in terms of like my finances and my stability. And when you live in a city centre or anywhere in London, but I guess more in Bristol, the city centre, you're on the edge of like gentrified and not gentrified areas. And I don't know, I, I lost, like a lot of us, I lost a lot of hope in like the last elections. And I think that the only way to like build that back is to be connected to people of different spaces and places. And I think geography does that still, kind of. Obviously, if you're in those super rich neighbourhoods, maybe not. But most people that live in these places, because of the way the UK made is made up, there is a cross mix of like social housing and not social housing and different, you know, places. And I just like, yeah, my life's just so much better now that I'm focusing on people around me physically. You know, I love that. Well, and I guess I mean ultimately, I mean you have the the sort of really scary universe of social media, which I mean I think has done so much to bring us together and connect us and all of that stuff too. But there is so much less opportunity for misunderstanding and anger and all of the crazy that happens, you know, on social when you're just like, you know, talking to your neighbor. I mean that stuff just doesn't happen in the same way. You focus on like what you guys need. You know, like, yeah. oh, you need me to do anything for you or you need me to, like, pick something up for you. When I used to imagine, like, being a teacher, I was like, oh, I'd be one that's, like, really involved in, like, that stuff outside of the classroom and, like, teaching as a way to then do social action. You know, I was thinking about all those things. And I just think that, like, you know, now I'm quite involved with my food bank locally and all these things I think wouldn't have taken me so long to get to. Especially, mm. like, I'm a te- I think a teacher that lives locally I'm thinking of a specific teacher that I had when I was growing up where like he lived near us, but obviously had a nicer place than us in the council estate. And I think he knew that we all knew that and could see that. And obviously he wasn't rich, but to us when we're kids, like that felt rich. He would come to the cafe where we all, all the parents hang out and all the kids hang out. And he would just buy everyone in the cafe a cup of tea and a cake, which like, Mm. But my teacher salary is actually like a big deal, you know? Yeah, it's a lot. And I will just never forget that it was so special. And he had so much of the parents' respect and our respect. When he told us off, like we listened, um, you know, and he was like, clearly, I was too young to really realize. But now I'm like, oh, you were like a white posh boy from like a London school that mm-hmm. had like ended up in this kind of like underprivileged area in a city that wasn't yours. And unlike the other teachers, you didn't live in the centre of town. Like, for whatever reason, you lived out in the sticks with us. That's always stuck with me as an image. Um, and that's maybe the teacher I would want to be, you know. He sounds amazing. Yeah, he was so great. He came to he came to my show like four years ago. It was very lovely. So you're you're going to be this kind of teacher, which is amazing. So you're in my land. Your school is in my land. And now I'm loving it. Do you know that last thing? I was like, you know, I think I'm enjoying this, actually. There we go. Yeah, I would have really taken... To, I think I would have really just, again, like like I jumped into my current job, I would have just probably jumped into this job and, like, put my all into it. So what would that have looked like, do you think, putting your all into it? You've started... You're still, you're still really young. You're 23, 24. Yeah. You're you're living in the area. You're te- and wait, are you teaching? You're still teaching religious studies. That's your thing. Like, two years after I graduated, they stopped making religious studies mandatory in schools. So it's probably that, like, RE teachers then had to, like, retrain. I mean, that's too real, isn't it? A lot of RE teachers, like, retrained in, like, uh, what do they call it? Like, social stuff. Like, they try to make it a bit more of an American, like, generalised social studies or, like, PHSE, I think they're calling it. So who knows if RE still exists? Okay, um, well, what do you think? Let's just figure it out quickly. I At your it, school. I think it does. Okay. I'm I'm there. And they know that the pub quiz needs to stay stay so strong. We're, we're not changing our whole curriculum based on the reason of a pub quiz. Um, yeah, so I'm teaching there. Um, and I think I'm really, like, organised. Like, I think that's the main difference I'm seeing. Like, you have to be organised to be a teacher. Like, I've got a routine. 
Why What's your routine? Why What's a day? Jogging. Why does jog? Why does every single unlived life include jogging? I'm someone that jogs. My unlived life always involves me doing things like soaking muesli the night before. Yeah, right, or like, do you know what I mean? It's those things like that where you're like, who actually does that? But yeah. like in my head, that's the thing. Or like, you know, I knit or something, you know, and I make blankets for my daughter. So there are these things that I just could never, ever do. Yeah. I'm jogging and I have a flask. Like, you just, have a flask? Yeah. Just two things like a water, like a water, like a reusable. Oh. Like I'm someone that like always has that on me. Am I like really visibly queer? Or is my version of visibly queer different because it's situational? Like, I feel like I became even bolder in my fashion and my aesthetic because I was around like club people. But if Um. you're around like loads of teachers, like is my version of visibly queer, like wearing like a slightly tight trouser and like a patterned brogue and I'm like fucking hell, gender's falling apart. Like, what do you think? What does it look like? Well, I can't imagine wearing a dress to school because the kids would have eaten me up. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm approachable queer, but not too much. I like the idea that in your real life, like sort of normal adults isn't enough to deter you from the dress, but like the ferocity of secondary school <laughs> kids is like, nope. You're like, all of society can fuck off except for those kids who are mean and I can't yeah, handle yeah, yeah. it. Well, to be back in a secondary school after that being so intense, I'd be like, no, I'm not doing this one again. Yeah, because you did it in secondary school, yeah, right? You and, you, and you... It was... I was fine, but I it took a lot of work to be fine. I think I'm an acceptable gay. Okay, acceptable gay. And I'm I'm trans in private. I use them, okay. they pronounce still, but I don't wear dresses to school. And for all better purposes, I just look, you know, a bit flamboyant. I think... It's still, I still haven't really seen many visible, the schools, the school visits I do for like LGBT and the LGBT teachers all come out, you know, to welcome me. And when I come, I still don't see visibly gender non-conforming teachers. Mm. You know, I think, I'm sure they must exist, but I just haven't, I haven't met any. So I think I wouldn't be the one. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, maybe we'll get you there. We'll see. Um, but so, um, you've, but you've said maybe in private. And what does what does in private look like? Does it look like if you made some more friends? Have you? Or... Yeah, I would have like probably been started to be friends with the queer artists by now. I think I would have been like, um, well, I would have been an audience member, like a you know you you have those like really lovely audience members that you just always see at the events. I think I would have been a really devoted spectator and appreciator of art because I don't think that would have ever left me, and so. I would have just been really enjoying myself as an audience member in London, you know, probably like watching loads of the writers that in my lived life I'm now, you know, buddies or friends with. I would have been seeing them because I would have like obviously still been so interested and like attracted to black queer work and literature and art. So I just imagine the difference would be that I'm on the outside watching it, Mm. which actually is very relaxing. And I'm like, damn, I need to, like, book some time off next year to be a spectator for two months. What a good idea. And just enjoy that. So, actually, this all turn it... Hey, this uh, this unlived life, the, the BPM is lower. I mean, the teachers listening to this are probably like, you don't have a fucking clue. <laughs> you spare fucking time. Shut up, you know? You're spending your Saturday combing out nits from your hair. <laughs> oh, God, nits. <laughs> uh well let's let's think but okay i think i think we can we can definitely grant you some some um time to watch some audience time you're definitely allowed you're definitely allowed in your unlived life to do that uh okay so that means you've made some friends so you've got a sort of social life going where maybe you feel like you're able to sort of be that step more fully who you are when you're in school and you're not being 100 percent kind of out there does it feel like a sacrifice or does it feel like absolutely i mean in the same way that when i go out in the street now and choose not to like wear a dress because I just can't be asked um with the hassle it feels like a sacrifice but I think you know as as the years would change then it would change too right because schools are so different now to they were 10 years ago even schools are different now to what they were five years ago when I used to do school visits like five years ago with my work just the difference in conversation in like how kids are talking about themselves how they're like 
relating to the world and it's why you're I mean I'm talking to a mum so like you know but like I can't but you've seen you've seen them at like the same age like my my kid has changed because she's got in part because she's gotten older but also in part because of but so you're saying like a five-year-old then is a really different thing to a five-year-old now in the way they're oh, talking about themselves a hundred and twenty percent like it's really struck me and but even just yesterday I went into school and like every single person had a pronoun badge on and like every single person was like talking about queerness and like the straight a straight kid put his hand up and was like you know as someone that's not queer like I would be happy to like sit this question out but I really wanted to ask and I'm like I had to be like how old are you and he's like 14 and I'm like <laughs> so like maybe the school culture shifts I would feel more comfortable to be myself right and maybe I can't imagine that because I've not experienced school like that but I'm visiting a lot of schools at the moment and I'm just really taken aback it's not perfect of course and I know this it depends on where you are but like even the fact that there's a conversation about what bathroom a child might use even as like there's kids as young as like seven being like sexuality is fluid I'm like what you're seven <laughs> what are you fucking talking about they're like soaking in a lot of stuff I don't know if it's good I mean I, I don't know what the effects are I don't either I don't know my opinion yet on it, which is really exciting, you know. I think that's such an well, I feel like that's one of the things that you gained is you clearly, and from your writing as well, gained this ability to live in this as yet to be determined state, yeah. which so many people find so desperately frightening. Yeah. And I just feel like if there's a like a superpower for our place and time, it has to be that because everybody wants to be one thing or the other thing. And the capacity to stay in a question yeah. for longer than like 10 seconds. I just think, I think it's a really it's lost. Yeah. Um, and be so, so important. Cause that's where the good stuff happens. And that's where art happens. Right? right. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like art sometimes goes, okay, we're doing the questions and now we've done the question. I can go back to my life where I'm not questioning. And it's like, no, like stay, stay there, stay here. Like in not yeah. being sure, you know? Totally. Well, okay. Okay. So we're, we're, I like the idea that how does it feel? Does it feel like your school becomes a little more accepting? I feel like at some point you might start to push for it a little bit I think and you so. feel like you'd like to go to school in a dress. I think so. I can't imagine a me that stays too stagnant in stuff not changing. And so, yeah, I, I think I would, and I think it would be a thing but then I'm also like, imagine, this is such a nice exercise. I'm like, actually, they're really cool with it. Everyone's like, I don't know, I'm imagining myself a really part of a community and like really enjoying myself and feeling like really valued and like being tired, but also being like really proud. I'm like, damn, British, maybe I should be a teacher after all of this. <laughs> and you know, it's interesting. The pace of this life feels like about routine. Um, so that I must get bored at some point because I know me when I do the same thing for too long, I get bored. Okay. What do you think happens? And when? You're like, we're like, we're going to say you're 24. You've been doing this for a couple of years. You jog, you've got your water bottle. I think 26, I must have got bored. Okay. That's yeah. where you are now, right? You're 26. Yeah. Let's say, should we say 25? Let's say yeah, 25. You get bored? 25. Because we're going to match you up to 26, but we've got a little bit of time. So This would have been the longest I would have done the same thing ever in my life. <laughs> Apart from secondary school. And even that was like, you know, jump in, jump out. So yeah, I feel like I would have had to change it up now. The thing I'm realizing while we're talking is that we've omitted from your unlived life is the pandemic. Oh yeah, of course. Right. <laughs> so it's like when you, you're 24 and you're teaching in the school and all of a sudden it's lockdown and you're teaching remotely. Yeah. Oh, uh, well that would be the quit, wouldn't it? That feels like the shift point. I wouldn't last. Okay. I wouldn't last on Zoom. I didn't last on Zoom even in my current job. <laughs> like, I gave it all up. Everyone was like, do you want to do this Zoom show? I was like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I don't. I can't. I'm sorry. Um, so, yeah, that would. you're right. The pandemic would have happened. I would have moved back to Bristol, I think. And I, I still would have moved back. But I would have quit. And maybe I would have re... And I think the only way my brain would work is now to retrain. Okay. Like I would have went to art school maybe or tried to go to art school. The pandemic's the perfect time to like relearn 
and like do it. I feel like the sensible teacher version of me, I, again, the teachers are going to hate this, but I feel like I would have had some savings, like saved up. <laughs> I know she's like, no, you wouldn't. You're living in London. You're a teacher. But the year, I remember when I was like being an actor, like when my first acting role was like, what, I was on like 400 pound a week. So what's that like a month? 16 so not like you know not tons in London and because I had a regular income for six months and it was the first time I'd had a regular income in a while I still I'm really good at saving when it's regular so that's my preface to the teachers that I would have had a savings because no matter how little I've always saved um and so I think I would have been like I've got a little savings I'm gonna go to school Um, and where do you move do you live go back home and live with your mum Oh, no, I can't. My mum lives in a one-bed flat. Okay. So I can't. I'm at my friend's house in Bristol still. This is where, like, the reality is the same geographically, but what I'm doing is different. Right. Because I would be with my friend Karis, who I was back with when I moved back to Bristol originally. But I would do done the same thing. Like, Bristol, you can't afford to live in a one-bed still. So I would have, like, got a one-bed flat to rent. Um, Yeah. But I would have went back to art school. Maybe I would go to the drama school, Bristovic. Maybe even, fuck, I'm getting excited. There was this art school, I forget what it's called. Ah, oh, it's on Park Street. Basically, when I was at sixth form, all of my friends that I met when I was 15 onwards were like the cool kids. And they all did their like foundation year in art. And I asked my mum again, like, all my friends are doing foundation year in art. Like, can I go? And my mum was like, you're not doing a foundation, you're doing A-levels. Like, I think I would have went and done this foundation in art because they had like, it felt like Hogwarts. I remember watching them all like one term they'd be focusing on film and the next term it would be sculpture and then they pick the next, and it was just like, ugh, obsessed. I went, that sounds so fun. It was so fun. They all had so much fun. They all smoked so many cigarettes. It was truly that vibe. You know, exam time came around and they were like, oh, we're so stressed. Like, I don't know what, like what my sculpture is going to be. And I'm there, like, got eight exams, like, fuck you. So, yeah, I think I'd go to that, be a mature student at that Foundation Art College. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it, love it. But it's, and it's, so it's pandemic, so you've got to do it kind of remotely or however they'll. Yeah, doing it remotely, fine. Better to be a student on Zoom than a teacher on Zoom. That's okay. Exactly. Um, you're sculpting and you're, and you're I'm doing one weird, bed. I'm doing, I'm doing weird performance art. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I'm back to where I am at night <gasps> while I, except I'm in my room. So maybe I'm like using like, try webcam, like that kind of internet art aesthetic where like everyone's doing everything on the webcam. Maybe I'm doing like really trippy podcasts where like people think that they're listening to a podcast because we've all loved podcasts in the pandemic. But like 10 minutes in, it becomes some weird like, durational performance and like yes only eight people are really listening to it but I'm just so happy that I'm doing it all right so you do your year you start making all of this weird sort of digital performancey art stuff and you're basically coming up to present day what happens well fuck I'm an artist again now aren't I um surprise (laughs) but without any of the resources without any of my team without any of the backing without any of the money so my unlived life who I am I'm working in the arts I'm just like with more balance and uh I don't have a book coming out because I learned that there was something far more interesting to do (laughs) I'm picturing is in about three years you're gonna write an you're gonna have your book about sort of being a community arts teacher and what it means to sort of and you're gonna and then one of my press interviews is here (laughs) (laughs) obviously by that time I'll be too famous it'll be sorry Oh my god, I'm not me just coming back to the same road. I literally am like, oh, and then I'm like wearing dresses again and I'm vibing and I'm just here. But like, I do think there's something in that life that I don't, or I'm trying to get in this life, which is like the the routine and the, and the calmness and I think feeling more like a person that's like around loads. I think that I tried to get that from living in Bristol and I definitely have improved. I just settled in Bristol, then I was on the pandemic open, I was on the US tour for like three months. So constantly picking up where I've left off and in this unlived life I'm just where I'm meant to be all the time I mean it's yeah it feels like a really understandable instinct when your life has been so everywhere 
to kind of to kind of envision something that's just a little bit more rooted and a little more grounded and where you have really amazing pub quiz game because I think that's like oh. the real takeaway from this oh and now I'm literally like looking at my group chat being like guys when is our pub quiz like, <laughs> that's what I've gained from this I'm like I need to organize the pub quiz round because we were, we were actually very close to winning last time and we didn't and I don't want just my unlived life to be winning pub quizzes you know no I feel like that's something you could really easily take over into your into your lived life. I really fully support you in that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think that's a good place to stop. What do you think? I love this. This was really hard. It was like, oh. but like fun. But you know, like, it's just not the standard interview I loved. Oh, sometimes I feel like I'm being really cruel because like I find decision making really difficult. And I've invented a format where I'm literally like, well, what happens next? Decide. You have to decide. Make a decision. And it feels really cruel. But it's like, I'm always really grateful. And I'm so grateful to you for like taking it seriously and doing it. I loved it. It was so cool. And I've not thought about that specific period of my life in a really long time of like uni. So it was really interesting. And now I want to like text some friends. So this is So you should. Yeah. I should do that. Speaking with Travis really made me think about the ways in which interrogating our unlived lives can illuminate parts of our identities which, often just because we don't have time to be everything all at once, we tend to pack away. Sometimes we get to revisit those parts of ourselves and other times they simply become part of our history, something we were before we were something else. Those who know Travis for their art or their activism may not know about their ability, say, to speak Hebrew, or unless you're at a pub quiz with them, you might not encounter their interest in theology in the Black church, or their drive for a life a little more balanced. But I like how Travis gave those elements some space to breathe in their unlived life. The exciting thing for Travis is that there's plenty of time to manifest whichever elements of their life, lived or unlived, they so choose. Whether that involves regular morning jogs with a water bottle remains to be seen.